I think it will be particularly difficult, but uh, thank you uh, to everyone for, for joining promptly after lunch. Uh, again, another fabulous event from uh, Nicholas and his team. Uh, it's always uh, amazing how he manages to uh, every year produce uh, an event that is better than the last year. Certainly this year was no exception. Um, I think even judging by the numbers at lunch, uh, it's, it's going to get more and more difficult to, to fit everyone in. Um, just to briefly uh, introduce myself and everyone on the panel, um, hopefully everyone has had time to, to grab a cup of coffee. Uh, my name is Jason Chohan, I'm a partner and head of international finance at Hill Dickinson. Um, as a lawyer, I'm automatically the most boring person on the panel, so I'm going to start by introducing the panellists. Uh, to my left, uh, Danai uh, Kotia from ABN AMRO. Danai is the newly appointed Head of Lending Transportation at ABN AMRO Athens branch. Uh, next to Danai, we have uh, Philip Wunschmann from Berenberg. Philip is the Global Head of Shipping in the Corporate Banking Division at Berenberg. Next to Philip, we have Evan, Evan Cohen from CIT. Evan is the, a Managing Director and Group Head of CIT Group's Maritime Finance Business. Uh, next to Evan, we have Vasilis Maroulis from Citibank. Vasilis is a Managing Director and Head of Central Eastern Europe, Middle East and Africa, Shipping Logistics and Offshore at Citi. That was a tongue twister, so I'm pleased to have... Uh, <laughs> that was a tongue twister, the, uh, but I'm pleased to have got that. And uh, Christos uh, Tsakonas from DNB Bank. Christos is the Global Head of Shipping at DNB. Um, and to go straight to the questions, I think we'll, we'll start with one of the, the usual questions, which uh, gives each of the panelists and the bank a, a chance to uh, basically sum up how last year was uh, for themselves and the bank, what they see for the, for, for the next year. But um, also because we're at the, the turn of a, a new decade, I think uh, maybe a quick look back at how the last 10 years were. Uh, and, and something a little bit more prospective, looking at uh, what's, uh, in, what's to come in the, in the next 10 years tonight. Thank you, Jason. Uh, the last decade has seen a huge expansion in the loan portfolio of ABN AMRO, specifically from the years 2010 to 2018. Uh, and uh, following a moderate risk profile and anticyclical approach, and uh, using the expertise that the bank uh, has uh, gained over the decades there in shipping uh, allowed us to have a healthy return and uh, good operating results. Uh, 2019, uh, we, had, uh, we saw a slowdown in our portfolio, mainly because the bank decided to start preparing more for the next decade, which uh, we see a lot of challenges and changes coming up. So we focused more internally in preparing our systems, preparing our policies, and just getting ready for the, for the years ahead. Now, for 2020, it's quite interesting because it started with a lot of positive um, uh, prospects. Uh, we saw increasing activity in all uh, segments, uh, dry, tanker, LNG, everything. Uh, and uh, being in shipping, of course, nothing is predictable. So we had... Uh, uh, in turn, a lot of unfortunate events and developments. Uh, the most recent one has been uh, the effect of the coronavirus, uh, where it has uh, created uh, concerns to everybody. Uh, we are following, from our perspective, from our bank, we are following very closely the developments. Uh, and uh, we have not halted our activity because when you decide to do something, you take a longer-term view. But on the other hand, 
Uh, we remain conscious and uh, very close to our clients, uh, trying to, to see what's happening next and identify any potential issues as early as possible. Thanks, Tanai. Philip? Yeah, uh, hello, everybody. Um, I think um, the last year was uh, for a, a lending, from a lending perspective, uh, a quite boring year. But as, as a banker in these days, you like boring years. So we are quite happy with uh, 2019. And some of you may, may ask the question why Berenberg and lending, as this was not that uh, common in, in uh, former years. So we raised, uh, some years back, we raised a fund uh, with, uh, from, the, from the insurance and pension funds uh, scene. Uh, and we had to convince them into shipping some three, four years ago, uh, which was a heavy exercise at the time um, after so many years of crisis. But uh, this fund is now up and running. It has doubled its size last year, so we are now approaching the 500 million. And last year was really investing into that uh, strategy and offering conservative debt traditional asset-based lending to our clients. So we did some 400 million new business last year. Uh, happy with that. And uh, the most important thing also our backing insurance companies are, are happy with that. I say that um, especially because I think uh, that uh, we here in the industry need, will need these kind of sources going forward. Um, I think the funding of a bank, for, especially for niche activities like shipping, is from a macro perspective. Uh, we need to make sure that our investors in the background, be it uh, the bank investors or, or these kind of LPs which back the banks uh, through, through such funds, uh, that they um, start to look at shipping more positively again. And I think this is the current... Uh, trend which we see that uh, last 10 years private debt has 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 raised uh, has risen the the scene and uh, more recently it has also uh, been uh, let's say more active uh, in the in niche markets like shipping and we are very happy that this happens and we try to be conservative prudent uh, and if this if we can can go on like this i think we have good times ahead of us because this, these investors, they look for yield, they look for attractive uh, risk return profiles, and with our conservative approach, I think they, they are happy. So um, also our future perspective is uh, kind of positive. I think for the rest, we, we speak a bit later. So I'll, I'll move on to Evan, but touching on some of the points that, that Philip was uh, mentioning was uh, starting a bit boring and then turning a bit exciting. So there's your intro, Evan. Yep. Um, CIT may be a name some of you were vaguely familiar with. It's been around for a long time. It hasn't been active in shipping in the, since 2015. It's always had a presence and at the end of 2018 decided it wanted to rebuild its shipping practice. I joined them. We have a small team, but we're quite active this past year. So 2019, an active year, senior debt. So we have uh, billion dollars of portfolio. We did about half of that this past year in 2019. We have 30 clients worldwide. A uh, third of them here in, in Greece, so we're happy with that. And we're going to do the same thing this coming year. Um, basically a deal a month for standard type ships uh, for owners in 
Northwest Europe, in Greece, and in the U.S. I think that's it. Thanks, Evan. And Vasilis. Yes, thank you. So for City, uh, 2019 was an extremely active year across the board, um, both on the origination of new, of new financings, if you wish, which is the topic of this panel, but across the board, whether there's you know, anything on, on the episodic side and, and capital assurances, uh, and, and of course, uh, uh, with all the, the regulatory elements and many other considerations, increasingly consolidation uh, becoming a, a topic that, that we're seeing. Uh, on the back of that, the, the portfolio continues to grow in a, in a very specific way, in, in, in the city way. I, how we do business has always been the case. We are corporate financiers, we're not asset financiers. Um, if the corporate works, then we can do multiple things disregarding the, the asset class, uh, the LTV, and, and multiple other things. So, all in all, the principle of that is, is exactly the same since uh, the first global shipping head, uh, Walter Riston, was doing business with Aristotle Onassis. So, we continue down that path. Uh, very cautiously growing our target market, uh, our portfolio, and of course our, our footprint and impact in the industry. Great, thanks, Vasilis. Christos? Yes, I mean, I'd say that we've seen tremendous changes in ship financing the past few years. Vasilis mentioned regulatory changes and Basel regulation changes. I think this has had a major impact on a number of banks. You've seen a lot of uh, household names here in Greece exiting the industry. Uh, partly because of change of strategy, partly because of losses, partly because of lack of a sophisticated business model. Um, Vasily touched upon uh, event-driven financing. Um, capital structures are becoming more sophisticated. Companies need more than just senior debt in order to be competitive and take advantage of windows as they open and close. Uh, so the banks that you see active these days are banks that do have a diversified business model. They can do more than just lend. They can be advisors across the capital structure for their clients. And I think this is the differentiating factor, and this is what you're going to see uh, the companies prevailing, the banks prevailing uh, in the future. What we didn't touch upon uh, so far is environmental matters. They have really taken the banking industry by uh, storm. I think our two institutions have been uh, quite instrumental in highlighting these issues. It's not a perfect solution, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a means of... Uh, creating awareness on environmental matters, which are becoming more and more prevalent and which will be with us for the years uh, to come as well. For us at, at DNB, uh, it's been an active year. We've uh, raised about $12 billion in totality of bank debt. We've kept about three and a half on our balance sheet. But more importantly, we have raised about two and a half in bonds and equity, uh, mainly in the Norwegian market, which uh, despite the tough capital markets on the bond side has been quite active. Okay, thank you, Chris. And I, I wanted to kind of elaborate on one of the points that you mentioned, and obviously probably a, a very current topic and certainly at conferences and, and, and bank panel discussions, uh, largely because it will kind of link into, you know, how we see um, traditional bank finance and finance in general developing over the next 10 years. And you touched on, you know, the, the, the Poseidon principles. Um, I think that's probably, I mean, as I understand it, it's around the, the 17 mark in terms of signatories. It's something that is gaining momentum, certainly throughout the course of 2019. 
Um, and I'd probably start back with, say, for yourself and, uh, and um, uh, Vasilis as, as signatories as well, that you know, how do you see that changing um, financing and shipping uh, longer term? On the Poseidon principle, I'd like to say a couple of things because there is a lot of uh, impressions or miscommunication. I mean, it's not the bank's intention to police, to become policemen for the environment. Not, not, not at all. The reality is that you know, employees, new employees in the bank, they care about how responsible the banks are towards the environment. Our investors, they care how we deploy our capital. So you know, shipping is you know, an extremely important industry. It carries 80% of the goods worldwide. Uh, it needs to have a responsible environmental footprint. Again, our, uh, with the Poseidon principle, our goal is not to be a policeman or to penalize or to block people that uh, do not fulfill certain criteria. But what we've said is there are certain IMO targets that ship owners have to follow, and it makes sense that our portfolios will follow that trend as well. So this is what we are monitoring, and this is what we are registering. Many times I get the question, are you going to diversify or are you going to block and not finance clients that do not fit that profile? And my answer to that is we always select clients based on various criteria. Could be the credit strength, could be their history, could be the performance in the past, or could be their environmental footprint. So this has always been part of our criteria, and it will continue to be so even more uh, going forward. Thanks. Yes. I can only fully echo what uh, Chrysos just said. Uh, I do sincerely believe that um, the Poseidon principles do not in any sort of way uh, create a, a sort of barrier with regards to uh, shipping finance and how all the institutions which are signatories, and I think it is expected that this will continuously increase, uh, provide shipping finance, traditional shipping finance, to the shipping community. I think it is uh, de facto the case that all ship owners which are here and, and active uh, will have to follow the IMO uh, uh, regulations and the, all the targets that it sets. And you know, as far as the banks are concerned that are signatories to the Poseidon principles, this is exactly what effectively we are saying with regards to our portfolios. So there is no misalignment between what an owner needs to do to what a, the, the corresponding shipping portfolios are trying to do. And uh, I suppose just to touch on, again, one of the points that you raised there, and I suppose partly linking it to, to IMO, I mean, it, it does, whilst certainly 2019 seems to have been a kind of a vocal year for Poseidon Principles, it's uh, IMO and, and uh, transition and regulation certainly was, you know, was not necessarily a surprise. It was something that was coming. So to what extent have these principles actually already been in place to some, some extent and they're actually just gaining more momentum now rather than anything else? Um, I mean, I think it's denying here. Um. You are uh, actually absolutely right. Uh, the Poseidon principles might be something new, but uh, the idea behind them, it's something that uh, has been around for years. Um, environmental sensitivity and sustainability is not something that is being uh, invented now. Uh, uh, the Poseidon principles and any other relevant initiative, it's a way uh, to assist the acceleration of the sustainability shift rather than reinventing something that's been there. And, uh, I mean, I want to take the, the, the point to uh, Evan and Philip as well in the sense that 
obviously, to some extent, as with everything, and that there is always a transition period, and, and to what extent, you know, how, how you view those policies and, and uh, ultimately the, the market's transition in, in those, uh, those fields and, and, and gaining compliance. I think uh, I would take it a, a bit broader in the sense that um, um, the ESG is uh, on the on the radar of every uh, investor and stakeholder in what what we do today, and uh, so it's a bit more than than the E in things, uh, which is uh, I think uh, very important and has come up the ladder. Uh, rather recently, but the other topics, uh, the social and the governance, is also a topic which I can assure you from from our conversations with many investors is uh, a concern to these investors uh, because all of them are more regulated these days, and uh, that's why I think we as a bank can only do uh, or can cannot do otherwise than being proactive on that. Uh, the regulators will force us anyway, or are about to force us, in Europe at least, to take these things serious and uh, not only to do marketing things, but uh, to um, uh, hard fact uh, take them into our processes. I mean, a credit process, and you know we are used to do risk assessment. This is uh, probably our core activity and core competence, at least it should be. And the ESG assessment of things will become, will become a, a parallel activity, which is part of every of your financing requests going forward. Uh, so it is also of our risk assessment. I think this is, this is the reality we face. And uh, by the way, gradual, I mean, it's already done. We have scrapping clauses in our credit agreements these days. We talk about sanctions and prevent, protect you from, from uh, by, by talking to you about these, uh, these things. So I think there are already steps taken in this broader approach in the recent years. So it's only a gradual um, um, development over the next years to come. It's interesting listening to some of the conversations in the past two days. I don't, I don't see the concern that the banks will have to be a policeman. So I think already public policy, so sulfur regulations and public sentiment are pressures, greater pressures on ship owners and the shipping industry. And on the other hand, bankers are driven by banking efficient owners. Are they ballasting correctly? Are they avoiding... Uh, empty back legs? Are they investing in energy efficient engines? This is how you pick owners that are going to succeed competitively. So the interests are aligned. We're pick, trying to pick the smarter owners. You guys try to pick the smarter bankers. And public policy and public sentiment are pushing everybody in this room in the same direction. So I don't see any misalignment. I think one last point, at least from my point of view, is that we are increasingly seeing uh, the charters and therefore those that actually provide the earnings for the corresponding vessels to be extremely interested in this and I do believe that they will be uh, aligning themselves also. So I think, you know, it's not going away, it's here to stay, it's extremely important for the investors, whether it is investors at City, at DNB, at wherever, uh, also investors for, for your companies, but uh, over and above that, I think 
it is coming with regards to, to the charters. And I think just trying to hide behind uh, one's finger and saying this is not happening is, is probably uh, would, t would take someone, whichever institution that is, to most probably a, a very negative outcome. I think Evan put it very nicely. This should not be con these are not controversial issues. You know, when it comes to sanctions, when it comes to environmental matters, I mean, th these are things that we are all jointly responsible for. And as an industry, we need to really take it seriously. We need to proactively come up with solutions, not let others force solutions on us. Uh, so the more proactive we are, the more aware we are uh, on matters that are non-controversial, as I said before, the better the outcome will be in the end. And hopefully, we're going to avoid the whole uh, controversy we had around scrubbers, if we are proactive on matters like this. Um, to, to bring the discussion slightly back to, I suppose, the pure finance side of it, and I'll throw this question open to, to the panelists. On the basis that there is, in all likelihood, to be that development, there are already green shipping companies or developing green shipping companies. Will that make finance more available, perhaps even cheaper? And I'll, I'll take volunteers to answer that question. I, I, I will jump in first because many times I get the question from clients, okay, if we have an environmentally friendly project, you know, how many basis points cheaper can we borrow? It's not, that's not really, it's a good question, but it's not, it's not really the heart of the issue. I think where we're getting at is pursuing environmentally friendly projects will give you access to capital, which might not be available if you're not. So the price at the moment might not be better, but you have a much broader access to pockets of capital. And I think as time goes by, as the various pension funds, as the various endowment funds are pushed by their investors to invest in environmentally friendly technologies, in environmentally friendly industries, you will get access to a broader range of capital if you are perceived as being environmentally friendly. I agree with Christos, I'll jump in. We are in, this is a brand new sort of thing, right? And it's not only applicable for shipping, it's applicable for all industries. But increasingly, you are beginning to see uh, pricing linked to ESG. Uh, you're seeing it in quite a few mature industries and, and many others. So effectively, if you hit, and these are public insurances, so anyone here can specifically look them up and you know but there is specific pricing and it's not only a bank that would provide that but also you know institutional investors that agree to that and effectively are saying you know if you hit these specific milestones with regards to any of the spectrum of the ESG agenda and again we're constantly focused on the E but uh, as Philip said, the S and the G is also extremely important. But effectively, if you see specific hurdles, then pricing actually reduces. So it is in increasingly coming into play. It hasn't happened yet, maybe at shipping, but at the same point in time, the, the, the tide is irreversible. And I do think that at some point, it will, it will come uh, to this industry also. Great, thank you. Yeah, sure, go ahead. No, it's an interesting one. We've I've said no to tanker deals because they didn't have oil major approvals. I've seen people turn down tanker deals without this IR inspection, a good sire inspection. I haven't heard of a senior lender walk away because he didn't have a, the right green metric. It is coming, but that's not the measure yet. But the good news is all of those things are pushing towards an environmentally friendly uh, direction. 
Even when it comes, I'll disagree with you, because when it comes to scrapping, for example, I mean, we have not done a single deal without scrapping, responsible scrapping language. And we can debate what responsible scrapping means, but it's something that is creeping in documents, and I think it's extremely important for people going forward. And as Vasily said, it's not something that's going away. It's not something that's reversible. We will see more and more. And it's critical that we open our eyes and are proactive in shaping how things are drafted, what is being put in there, because otherwise we will have solutions. And I gave scrubbers as an example, imposed on us, which are not efficient or are not the way we want them to be and suit, suit us. Now, the point taken on the uh, scrapping conventions, absolutely right. And also one thing I want to add is I, I agree completely with Christos, and uh, this is something new, this is something that is transforming. So all the measures taken by the bank now doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it's 100% accurate or complete or perfect. We are also learning, we are also evolving, but we have to start from somewhere. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to change the, the, the topic slightly in a slightly different direction. I think one of the uh, topics I would typically go, uh, go for at, at uh, uh, our usual panel discussion would be the state of the market. But actually, having thought about the state of the market, I was thinking that maybe it's, it's not the best topic to discuss. So we'll make a slight change to that and actually specifically look at the, the state of the finance market. Um, I think what I mean by that is that uh, obviously there's a pick-and-mix option of a uh, variety uh, of, of different financing, different lenders, different financing types, uh, leasing. Um, and you know, a lot of the banks here have been in, in the ship finance market for a very long time. Um, and I think the question I want to ask is, you know, how, how do the banks see this now wide variety of, of, of finance that, that is out there, whether it's the leasing, uh, is that healthy competition? Is it part of everything? Actually, do they want to see their, their borrowers diversifying the type of finance they have? What's the, what's the general impression of how the, how the market is developing on, on a pure finance basis? I'll throw that over. Maybe I start from this side. Um, I said before that the capital structures are becoming much more sophisticated when it comes to shipping companies. I think there is a great advantage to have access to a broad range of financial instruments. We've seen banks be active at one time and not active at another. We've seen expo credit agencies the same. We've seen bond markets and equity markets open and closed. I think it's imperative for companies or for shipping companies to have access to a wide range of financial instruments. And this is where our jobs are becoming much more complicated. It used to be that we had money and whoever could offer them the cheapest would get the deal. What clients are seeking from us today is advice across their capital structure. So we need to be able to talk to them about bonds, about convertible bonds, about equity instruments, about senior debt, about junior debt, because the market has become much, much more sophisticated than it used to be. And I think this is very welcome. And uh, I think this is uh, what is going to keep us in the industry going forward as Basel regulations are coming into place and deploying senior debt uh, becomes more and more expensive for uh, the banks regulated by Basel. I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I do think, it's, first of all, it's great to see many panels uh, and, and therefore seeing 
multiple liquidity and capital sources uh, which are being deployed uh, with, re with regards to this industry. So as far as I'm concerned, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great outcome. I think it, long may it continue. I, as far as Citibank is concerned, we don't view it in any way as competition, whether it is, you know, uh, niche-specific players which are entering this market for specific reasons, specific asset classes, whether it is uh, sale and leaseback structures. I think all of them need to be considered, clearly. Some of them have their merits, have of them, uh, and, and of course, uh, the, the counter-arguments for using all these capital structures and, and sources. But as far as we're concerned, long may they, you know, they should be here. Uh, it's, it's great that they, they, they can find, they, they should find a house, and ultimately uh, it's not really competition. It, they are complementary, and you know, for some owners it may not suit them, and therefore they, they proceed down the path of traditional shipping finance. For some others, it may be exactly what they need for multiple specific reasons, not only lack of availability of capital, but also for strategic reasons, you may want to be partnering up with people for the specific project for multiple reasons. Yeah, maybe just to add on that, um, I fully agree, and um, it becomes a kind of integrated model. I think and this is good news, because obviously, um, when we see leasing companies and private debt funds on, on the, uh, as two possible uh, alternatives, I think these days uh, we here as bank has, have over the last years redefined our role and have uh, understood that uh, we have limitations on risk appetite probably, uh, but also we have limitations on maturity in, in, the, in the way how long we can lend to the industry. So we need for these things uh, other other players who has a, have a different uh, risk return profile. And what we then do today is kind of supporting these other players by, for example, uh, back leveraging uh, private debt funds or leasing, even leasing companies. I think uh, so the whole model becomes kind of integrated and someone uh, a friend of mine being in the, the, the aircraft industry asked why do you, don't you have securitization uh, um, lending in, in shipping? Yeah? Um, yeah, it never played out, but uh, as a matter of fact now, this, these kind of integrated uh, models of financing and various layers of financing uh, are kind of that uh, in developing. So I think this is positive for the industry. And also, and I'm uh, referring to what Vasily said, that these are complementary. And the matter of the fact is that uh, there hasn't been a time where only traditional bank financing has in place. For the last 20 years, as far as I remember, we have seen the high yield bonds, the private equity. We have seen the capital markets. We have seen smaller banks, bigger banks coming, going. So this is like how the market operates. Uh, whenever there is a need for any type of financing, there are other forms that come in and com can complete and uh, fill in the gap. And this is definitely that's something that I think will go on in the future, and we will continue seeing players coming in and out and changes happening. And I, mean, I think to, to touch on one of the points that Christos mentioned in terms of the kind of the sophistication of some of the, the transactions and the deals that are coming through, I think can, to, to give a theoretical example, to, to see a European bank lending to a Chinese leasing company, lending to a Greek owner in a joint venture with US private equity buying new builds in Korea, 
is something that maybe a few years ago would have been considered exotic, but it's now something that is becoming a bit more mainstream. So, and it, the, the, from what I'm sensing is that certainly it's actually all of these different flavors, different things that are on the finance menu becoming part of um, the market and actually working together collectively to kind of satisfy the different appetites that are out there. Actually, in our case, it's more than a third of our business is partnering with private equity or some other alternative capital in, in the same transaction. Now, and I think to, to move on one of uh, onto our one of our last topics as uh, time starts to run short. Certainly, you know, we're in uh, in, in Greece today, uh, and and the Greek market is certainly you know one of the most Im important uh, uh, markets. Um, I think on that, it's, it's, it's certainly a market where the whole world looks in terms of whether it's for asset play or the types of transactions and um, uh, deals that are being done in Greece. And uh, I think I'll, I'll throw this question open to each of the panellists in terms of obviously the, the importance of, of, of Greece uh, and the Greek mar shipping market. Uh, what, what aspects you see maybe need to develop, but, but ultimately, you know, what is it that attracts each of you to, to the Greek market? So uh, I agree with you. It's uh, very well recognized that when it comes to sea transportation, Greek ship owners are among uh, the leading players globally, with the Greek fleet representing almost 20% of the global fleet. What uh, some aspects that I think have made uh, Greek so successful is that uh, they're entrepreneurs in what they're doing. They're very, um, they have the ability to identify changes early enough and the capacity and ability also to adjust and adapt to the new situation. And I think this is something that we will always see in the Greek ship owners. Uh, we have already started uh, seeing uh, shipping companies uh, taking measures towards uh, the next, uh, the next uh, decade. And uh, we will definitely continue to see that uh, happening more and more. Uh, and uh, from our perspective, uh, ABN AMRO is and uh, wants to be there to support that and uh, support any initiatives taken towards that direction. Uh, and um, it's not something that will happen today or tomorrow, but it's definitely something that we will see in the years to come. I think to touch on one of those points as well is that certainly, you know, aside from you know one of the biggest uh, fleets uh, around the world, it's also, as, as I understand, one of the youngest. Um, so that is something, you know, it's a, it's a market that actually you can see potentially driving change in terms of you know renewing fleets and having environmentally friendly ships. On that, that. I mean, there may be a fairly common view or not, but is it too early? Is it the right time to actually, you know, really look at uh, fleet renewal, new buildings, eco-friendly ships, uh, which, you know, it's, it's, it, is, it is there in, in the Greek market? Jason, I think it's already happening. And uh, the pace and the extent of it, uh, I think, will be decided uh, by the owners themselves who know the market much better than us. Yeah, go ahead, Philip. Yeah, we um, are here uh, now more than 50 years in the Greek market. We have never lost money. This is something we like. Um, secondly, we like uh, that there's still a relationship approach to the market. So we like the family-owned, very dedicated and committed people that are here 
and which allow us to really do, um, let's say, the risk assessment uh, we like also based on a human element. That's that we should not not miss at all. And uh, thirdly, we we um, and I fully agree. We like. Uh, the ability here to play the capital structure since since many decades. Yeah, people know how uh, how to uh, put this together. There's equity from the owners. There's uh, the uh, openness and flexibility to to work with others. And uh, banks come and go, but uh, you you always manage to find uh, enough banks for for your business. So uh, we we are among those uh, to stay here, and uh, that's what we like about the market. Thank you. If, if you like shipping and you like to finance and you like to work with uh, owners, operators who know their business, um, this is a target rich environment, as they say in the American movies. You have the, the biggest problem, you don't have to go anywhere. Your biggest problem is getting from Glyphada to Caficia in, in an afternoon, and you really can do all the business you want in this place. We've also had the, the good luck and the benefit of not having losses in this market. And in this market, okay, I have enough gray hair that you can say, when there is a problem, and there will always be a problem, there's enough people here who can help you with the problem. Evola? Yeah, I'll, I'll echo uh, what, what everyone has said. I think, you know, clearly for Citibank, you know, shipping was the first global industry of, of the, the bank as a whole. Uh, we have been in, the, in this country for over 60 years. We're not, uh, we don't operate in a satellite format. We are a branch of Bank of Greece with offices here, and we, we believe in this market. We believe in our clients that operate in this market. We are here to, the, to support them, whether it's a good market, a bad market, or whatever that is. So ultimately, this is how we, we do business. Uh, we will continue to do business here. And I think, look, it says it all in terms of, you know, the Greek ship owners operate the, the largest commercial fleet globally, uh, they control and operate. And as a result, you know, this is the place to be. It's, it's always refreshing to be here. You, you can feel, smell, and, and sense shipping and, you know, you, you cannot get a better feeling uh, in terms of being here and, and doing business with this community. So we will continue to grow this portfolio, and uh, long may Greek shipping uh, be here and thrive. I think the main, the main difference between um, Greek ship owners and ship owners around the world is that the Greeks are tremendously proud about what they do. They're extremely passionate, and they're extremely hands-on on every detail, from financing, from operations, from, from everything. I mean, it's not uncommon to uh, meet the owner uh, who at the same time is having a meeting or a discussion with an engineer about something extremely technical. You do not see that uh, around the world. Uh, I think if you, if you deal with Greek ship owners, you are prepared for everything in, uh, in, in that shipping can throw at you. So it's a fascinating market. It's a fascinating market. Uh, and it's such a big cluster that if you do it the right way, you can, as a bank, you can really have a good return, you can have a very solid performance, and uh, you can have it as your flagship market in the portfolio by far. Thanks, Rusus. And before uh, I thank each of the panelists, uh, we have a few minutes left if there are any questions from the floor. And I 
think based on that we will be saved. So thank you to all of the panellists and uh, thank you very much to the audience to keep listening.